Today we're going to continue our series called uh, Follow. And as we began this series about uh, four weeks ago, I made a statement that 2,000 years ago, Jesus said two words to 12 men, and those two words are follow and then me. Follow me. And as they did, their lives were changed forever. And, and yet what we need, need to understand, and we've been trying to get across in these messages, is that those two words were not just for the disciples, not just for the people of that day, but they were for all of us. Jesus looked down through the, the course of history and time and said, I want everyone ever to be born into the face of this planet to follow me. And so Jesus was literally inviting you to follow him. And this invitation, as we've been talking about, is not just to believe in him, that some God exists, that Jesus really lived, but it's actually to follow him. Because there is a big difference, as we've been talking about, between being a fan of this great moral teacher, Jesus, who lived a sinless life, and then actually following him. There is a big difference. And so we hope, as we share this series with you, that you're beginning to see what it looks like to begin to actually follow the teachings and the lifestyle of Jesus Christ. Today, I want to give you the fine print for followers of Jesus Christ. The fine print. You see, in every contract, in every agreement, in every relationship, there's always the fine print. The little stuff written clear at the bottom, you know? There's always the fine print. And so, it's really about the bottom line. The fine print is really about the real deal, the real cost of that contract, that agreement. When you, when you sign an agreement to go to work for somebody, the fine print tells you when to arrive. It tells you what to wear. It, it tells you the, the real deal, what's expected for you to keep that job. It talks about the real cost that you're going to have to pay to be effective in that job. When you speak vows and you sign a marriage license, the fine print tells you that you're expected to leave all others and be faithful to one. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. There's a cost. There's a leaving when you sign an agreement. And Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, there he reveals this fine print, the real cost for those who want to follow him. The truth this morning is the bottom line, if you don't remember everything, anything else, following Jesus is going to cost you something. Following Jesus is going to cost you something. And in Mark chapter 8, Jesus begins to talk about the people who were following him from place to place to place. The crowd was getting bigger and bigger. He had a lot of fans. And he began to talk to these people who were following him from place to place, but he knew were not actually following him. He knew that lots of them were just along for the ride, that they were really just fans. And they hadn't yet decided to pay the price of what it was going to take to follow him, to really follow his teachings, to follow his lifestyle. He knew that. So he begins to talk about what the real following looks like. In other words, he began to give them the fine print for followers. Now, you and I know there are huge benefits to following Jesus, even as a fan. (laughs) Huge benefits. If you follow Jesus sooner or later, it's going to cost you. Huge benefits, but sooner or later, it's going to cost you. There's going to be a price to pay to follow him. 
And it's, it's when you're facing paying a price for following Jesus that you begin to discover, am I really a follower or really am I just a fan? When you have to face the price, some price, you discover, am I a fan or a follower? And you begin to ask that question. Now, yes, there are huge benefits to following Jesus, even at a distance, even as just a fan. I mean, just coming to church and hearing his teachings on a regular basis, seeing how Jesus treated people with love and respect and and kindness, just hanging out with the people of Jesus, the family of God, just doing that stuff. You're going to pick up some good stuff from Jesus. And some of that you're going to translate into your life, and you are going to become a better person. You're going to become a better father. You're going to become a better mother. You're going to become a better, a better person, a husband, and a, and a wife. You'll probably end up being a little bit more honest, more forgiving, and, and maybe even more generous. There are huge benefits that come from just kind of getting near Jesus. <laughs> Even being a fan of Jesus, huge benefits. In fact, Jesus says, if you obey what I teach, you're like a person who builds his house on a rock. And when the storms of life come, you will stand. But if you don't obey what I teach, it's like you've built your house on the sand. And when the storms of life come, your house will not stand. Your life will not stand. And you've seen that. You've seen people in the storms of life, and you've seen some of them stand. The storm's blowing, and they just stand. You've seen other people fall. They collapse in the storms of life. You've seen people then endure extraordinary stuff and stand. And you're you're standing there thinking, wow, facing what they're facing, how in the world are they doing so well? Man, they continue to go worship Jesus. They continue to reach out and extend the, the love and the, the grace of, of Jesus to other people. They're serving other people right in the midst of their, their stuff. How in the world are they doing that? Well, folks, they're standing strong in their storm because they built their lives on Jesus, the rock. Amen? The rock. They're standing strong because they're true followers, not just fans. They're followers of the teachings and the lifestyle of Jesus Christ. So there they are standing, built on the rock, and then God comes along. Jesus comes along, and he gives them a supernatural enabling from his hand to stand. Amen? To stand in their storm. There are huge benefits to following Jesus. But what I want to talk about this morning, there are also costs to following Jesus. Costs. You know, when I was in Thailand with some of our missionaries, I heard about some of the costs of following Jesus. In fact, I was talking with one of the missionaries, and I can't mention their name for security reasons, but we're talking about the costs of following Jesus. And and he was describing to me that the costs are so great where he's a missionary that he will not let anyone accept Jesus Christ into their life. Have you ever heard of that? He'll not let them 
accept Jesus Christ into their life until he's confident that they fully understand the price they're going to have to pay. They will not then baptize them in water as a public witness until they're convinced they will fully understand the price they'll have to pay for following Jesus. For some, he says, it means that they'll be immediately disowned by their family and literally kicked out of their homes. They're made to be homeless for believing in Jesus. For some, they will be beaten, he says, for three to four months in a row by city officials and religious leaders of their community. And I said, what are the beatings like? Are they just slapping around? They said they are crippling kinds of beatings. Beatings, not just once, but for three or four months until those leaders decide they cannot cause them to turn away from following Jesus. So they might as well leave them alone. There is a cost to following Jesus. But these people have found it better to know Jesus and to be beaten than to be loved by this world. And all of God's people said, amen. We need to understand that. There are costs to following Jesus. So in Mark chapter 8, beginning with verse 27, look at this. Jesus begins to explain what those costs really look like. Listen as we read. The Bible says Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? Let's stop there for a minute. I want to unpack this. Jesus knew there was a buzz now going on about him. And so he asked his, his disciples, his closest followers, that question. Hey, what are people saying about me? What are you hearing? What are they saying about me? And they replied, some say John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist had just been beheaded. He was the front runner, the forerunner before Jesus to pave the way before Jesus. And some thought John the Baptist had come back to life in the form of Jesus. So they said, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and still others, one of the prophets. But then Jesus says, but what about you? He asked, hey, guys. What about you guys? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, you know, Peter, Peter, <laughs> you know, compulsive, impulsive, you know, loudmouth Peter raises his hand. Says, I know, I know, I know. And he raises his hand. And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Now, the word Messiah is a Jewish term. The Greek term for that word is Christ. Now, some of you think that Christ is Jesus' last name, right? <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's his last name, right? But, but how would you know the difference unless a pastor tells you? But Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. And, and it really means anointed one. So Peter was saying, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the anointed one that we've been waiting for. And it's like Jesus says, Peter... You nailed it. Peter, you got it right. You're right. But then Jesus says this. Jesus warned them to not tell anyone about him or who he was. And I can imagine at that point, the disciples and the people in the crowd are scratching their heads and saying, what? What? Aren't we supposed to go into all the world and, and preach the gospel? What? Aren't we supposed to tell people about Jesus? Jesus. 
And Jesus says, Peter, you got it right. I am the Messiah. That is the right answer, Peter. You nailed it. But shh. <laughs> it's not time yet for everybody to know who I am. So once he identified himself to his closest followers, he began to talk to them about the fine print for those who follow him. The price that they might have to pay for following him. So our scripture, our text goes on, the Bible says, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and must be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again and he spoke plainly about this and peter took him aside and began to rebuke jesus so i want you to get the picture here jesus is telling his closest followers that he is the messiah and things are going to now start happening to him some really tough things some some hard things are going to start happening to him and they're going to get tough and that he is going to be killed And so what's Peter do? He takes Jesus aside. He pulls him off from the other disciples. He takes Jesus aside. He said, Jesus, time out. (laughs) Time out. And he says something like this. Now, Jesus, come on. Don't start going all negative on us. (laughs) Jesus, look around. I mean, everybody loves you. I mean, everywhere we go, the crowds are around us, and and they love you. They they follow you, and they love us, too. And they're following us too. Jesus, don't go negative on us. We're kind of famous. So Jesus, what do you mean that you're going to be arrested, that you're going to be killed? You're not going to be killed. You're the Messiah. You're God's anointed one. You're the one that God has sent, that we've been waiting for. You're not going to be killed. You're the guy. And I imagine Peter The Bible doesn't tell us this, but I can just hear Peter kind of doing this. So kind of float along with me here. He says, Jesus, remember the deal out in the boat? Remember when the wind and the waves came up and you spoke? And even the weather obeyed you? What you want to happen, Jesus, happens. So how are you going to be arrested? How are you going to be killed? Jesus, no more negative. Now, come on. Let's go back and talk about prayer, something positive, okay? Let's go back to the guys and let's be positive. No more of this death and dying stuff. But when Jesus turned, look at the scripture, and he looked at his disciples. Jesus then did what Peter had just done. (laughs) Check this out. Jesus rebuked Peter. He then rebuked Peter. And look at what he said. Get behind me, Satan. That's what Jesus said. Wow. But listen, why was he being so harsh with Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Why was he so hard on Peter? The scripture says, you, Peter, do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And I don't want to rush past that verse because I think it's an important verse for a lot of us. Here's what's going on. Jesus is calling Peter out. He's saying, Peter, let's get honest. You've enjoyed following me, haven't you? It's been great, hasn't it, Peter? Everybody loves us and crowds are growing and they're listening to my word and they're following me and people are believing in me and people are getting baptized. Peter, you've enjoyed that, haven't you? It's really been great. 
And because you followed me, Peter, everybody knows you. <laughs> you're Peter. <laughs> you're the guy. Everybody knows that you're a fisherman that left your business to follow me, right? It's been good for you to follow me. But Peter, right now, you're acting like a, a fan, not a follower. Right now, you're acting like a fan who follows me not for what I want out of their lives, but for what they can get out of me. You're treating me like a fan. I want you to be my follower. And that means when I go somewhere and lead you somewhere that might cost you something, I want to know that you're with me. That you're not just a fan when the price gets too high that you're just going to drop off and leave. But you're going to be with me. You're going to follow me. When there's a cost, I can know and count on me, count on you that you're going to be with me. And the reason I've just rebuked you is that you've just revealed that you're just thinking about yourself. You've just revealed that you're not concerned about God's concerns. You're not concerned about what's going to happen to me. You've just revealed that you're more concerned about what's going to happen to you because of what's going to happen to me. Peter, you're not thinking about God's concerns. You're just thinking about your own concerns. And folks, we get caught up in that, don't we? We just get caught up in thinking about our lives and our stuff instead of the concerns of God. And Jesus decides to use this as a teaching moment, but not just for his closest disciples, but for everybody. Not just for his disciples, but for everybody in the crowd. And, and it's at this moment that Jesus begins to reveal the fine print for all who would follow him. The fine print for those who want to follow him. And the fine print reveals what it takes for any one of us, you and me, to not just be a fan, but to truly be a follower of Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one. So here's the fine print. Look at the scripture once again. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. And so Jesus was gathering all the, all of the people around. No microphones in those days. So I can imagine him saying, hey, everybody get close. Everybody get close so you can hear. Because I want to share with you what it's going to take to really follow me. So listen. This is, this is very important. This is the fine print for those who want to follow. Folks, you got to understand, this is kind of an eyeball-to-eyeball conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples and all the crowd that was following him. And he wants them to literally know what's going to happen to him, what's literally going to happen to them if they follow him closely through what he's about to go through. He wants them to know. You see, if they are deemed to be his followers, they too could be arrested and crucified. Now, here's the good news for you and me. That won't happen to us. We're not going to be crucified. And all God's people said, <laughs> amen. That won't happen to us. You might have to make some tough decisions, but nothing like these guys were about to face. So listen close now to what Jesus says. And then Jesus says, here it is, the fine print. Whoever wants to be my disciple, my follower, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. He's saying, whoever wants to be my follower, not just a fan of the things that I do to help them, 
Whoever wants to truly follow me, there will come times when you will have to deny yourselves. Now, that's not really some big theological thing when you think about denying yourselves. We do that all the time. You go out for dinner, you have this great, great dinner meal, and the waitress comes by and says, hey, would you like some dessert? And you say, yes, but no. Not tonight. And you deny yourself. And it's not a big theological thing. That's simply what it means. To deny yourself simply means to do this. Write this down. Following takes you saying no to you. That's what denying yourself really means. You saying no to you. So Jesus is saying, you are going to face some times. From this point on, disciples and crowd, if you follow me, you're going to face some times. You're going to have some moments. You're going to come to some forks in the road when what you want for you and what I want for you are different. They're different things. And at that point, at that moment, you're going to have to decide if you're going to be just a fan and drop off or if you're really going to decide to follow me. If you're going to go your way or my way, that's your decision. And if you're going to be my follower, you're going to have to deny yourself in order to follow me. And if you decide to follow me from this point on, you need to get it in your heads, the idea that you too are going to have to pay some kind of a price. There will be some kind of a cross that you will have to pick up and carry and bear. If you follow me. Now, when you think of a cross, you probably think of jewelry that you hang around your neck. You, you might think of a picture that you've hung in your home. You might think of a cross that you've seen in a movie with music playing in the background. But you and I, we've never seen a crucifixion. We've never smelled a crucifixion. We've never heard the sounds of the screams and groans of those being crucified. In our society, it's all been kind of romanticized and, and glorified. But to that crowd sitting there, listening to the fine print for followers that you'll have to deny yourselves and take up your cross and follow me, they had been past many crucifixions. They had seen many crosses because Rome left the crosses standing with the people on them for a very long time to terrify people into submission. It was a horrific thing. So Jesus is saying, you need to understand that if you're going to follow me from this point on, it may cost you something. You're going to have to deny yourself. Now, can you imagine how scared they were hearing this? Jesus is going to die on the cross and they have to deny themselves and they, if they want to follow him, they may have to pick up some kind of a cross too, something hurtful, something heavy, something horrible to follow Jesus. Can you imagine how scared they were? And it was at that moment when some of the crowd, I think, began to say, okay, this is where I'm going to say, so long, bye-bye. It's been good. But bye-bye. This is where I'm going to say, Jesus, this has been great. The miracles have been fantastic. 
I mean, when you healed my mother-in-law, I was kind of conflicted about that, but it was a miracle. And so it's, it's kind of cool to see. So, so Jesus, the food has been great. Man, when you fed us, it was more than I could even eat. There was plenty left over. The fellowship along the way with all these people has been awesome. I've met some really great friends and people. But now you're telling me that it's going to cost me something. And I'm not so sure that following you is going to be worth it from now on. You're talking about things being hard, a price, a cost. And Jesus, he's God. He knows the hearts of men. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. He knows that this kind of talk, this kind of fine print scares us. And it's, it's not that you don't believe in him, but the thought of denying yourself to follow him and the thought that it might hurt to follow him is just something that maybe you don't want to do. You just don't want to say no to you. I understand that. Jesus understands that. And so he's looking at this crowd that was just like us. People thinking, man, I wish you would have told us this stuff up front. (laughs) I'm not sure it's going to be worth it to follow him from this point on. But then Jesus says this to the crowd. For whoever wants to save your life. Let me stop there. That's me. Is that you? For whoever wants to save their life. Is that you? Want to save your life? Yes. That's why you exercise. That's why you go to the doctor. That's why you try to eat decent sometimes. And with those words, Jesus kind of got everybody on board. They're saying, yep, I want to save my life. But then he continues. Whoever wants to save their life, look at this, will lose it. Oh, yeah. That's right. No matter how well I eat, no matter how well I exercise, no matter how many pieces of pie I deny, no matter how many bad habits I break, no matter how hard I work to save my life, one day I am going to lose my life. Okay, Jesus. You got my attention. And he goes on, but whoever loses their life for me Whoever chooses to follow me and lose their life that they're going to lose anyway. Anyone who loses what they consider life, family, relationships, dollars, anything they value for me. Whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. At that point, I think the crowd had to be saying, what? But, you know, what Jesus is really saying is this. The life that you're trying so hard to save, you're going to lose. But if you follow me and you lose your life or whatever you consider life to be, if you follow me and and you lose an opportunity or you lose a relationship or anything that you consider valuable, I just want you to know, if you lose it because you decided to follow me, I am telling you right here and now that you will save your life. You'll save your life. You know, this reminds me of when Shirley and I left our moms and our dads and our brothers and sisters and in mid-America, and lots of our friends to follow the call of Jesus on our lives. We could have tried to save our lives back there in the Midwest and all the things that were familiar to us, but we followed his call. 
It reminds me of, of a young couple that I met in Thailand and, and their little tiny baby. And they're leaving everyone they know in Indiana to follow the call of Jesus, to share his love and forgiveness, the message of Jesus with the people in the mountain areas of India. We're talking people in their mid-20s with one little baby leaving it all to follow the call. That rips me up. But they're paying a cost to follow the call of Jesus. But what seems like a loss is really no loss at all. Because of whatever whatever you lose, you're going to have to lose anyway one day. But what you lose in following Jesus... There's meaning and a purpose attached to it. So then Jesus asked him this question. What good is it for someone, for you, to gain the whole world and yet forfeit or lose their soul? What good is it for you to gain the whole world and yet lose your soul? So you don't follow me, but you stay right where you are and you amass all of this stuff and you keep your life just the way you want it. But you're going to one day lose it all. What, what do you gain? If you do that, but you reject following me and you lose for eternity your soul. So Jesus is saying, okay, crowd, let's imagine that you have everything. Let's imagine you've got everything. Let's, let's imagine that people look at you and say, man, he's got the whole world. Look at what he drives. Look at what he lives in. Look at where he goes. Look at how he travels. He's got one of those Lear jets. Look at how he travels. He's got it all. But Jesus is saying, what good is it for you to gain the whole world? And yet at the end of the life that you're trying to save, the one that we will all lose. What if at the end of the life you've lived and it was a good life? We could even say it was the most awesome life anyone could ever live. A life that everybody was jealous of. At the end of that life, what if you still lost your soul? Now, if you're a person who thinks, well, I don't believe I have a soul. I think that when I die, I die and that's it. Did you know that most of the people in Jesus' day, people around him, believed that? There was a group of uh, leaders called the Sadducees, and they believed that you were here for the pleasure of God, but once you died, that was it. They taught there was no afterlife, and that's why they were sad, you see. <laughs> little Bible trivia there. And so these sad Sadducees, <laughs> actually taught that there was no resurrection, there was no life after death, and the reason they believed that was because there was no direct teaching in the Old Testament that says this is how you get to heaven, this is what heaven is like, no direct teaching. Yes, there's all kinds of foreshadowings and all kinds of things pointing to Jesus in heaven, absolutely. And so lots of people thought that death then was the end. But then some Jewish people came along and said, we think there is an afterlife. And when Jesus came, he said, you're right, there is a heaven. So what if at the end of the most awesome life imaginable, you realized that because you hung on to the life that you wanted to live, instead of following Jesus, 
that you had forfeited, that you had lost your soul for all eternity, how would you then respond? When you realized you had had lost your soul, I think for me it would be uncontrollable grief. Uncontrollable tears and sobbing and fear. But then Jesus goes on in the scripture and he says this. Or what can any of one give in exchange for their soul? So let me unpack that. Let's say you're at the end of your awesome life and you've got massive possessions. But at the end of your life, you realize you're about to lose your life. You're about to die and leave it all behind. And you begin to hope that your soul will enjoy an afterlife. At that moment, what would you trade to get your soul back? The one that you forfeited as you followed after all the stuff of this world instead of following Jesus. I think the answer is you would give it all. Amen? You would give it all to get your soul back. Jesus says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? The answer is it's no good. Jesus asks, and what would you give in exchange for your soul? And the answer, I believe, is everything. God, you can have it all. Just give me my soul back, a soul that can live with you forever. Jesus wants the crowd and his followers to know that their soul is more valuable than any possession, any relationship. He wants the crowd and his followers to know that if they really understood the reality of eternity and the fact that their soul will either be saved for heaven or forfeited and lost in hell, he wants them to know that they would give everything to save their soul. So for the crowd listening, including his disciples, who were so afraid at that point to follow him, they are now saying, so you're telling us, Jesus, that no matter what we have to give up to follow you, that we have an opportunity to give it up in such a way that it impacts our destination and our future and the future of our souls. Jesus saying, yep, that's what I'm telling you. So Jesus, the sacrifice, the cost that you're asking us to pay, the sacrifice you're asking us to make really isn't such a big deal when it's put next to the value of our souls. And Jesus says, exactly, exactly. Now remember, these people are about to get up and go in a direction where their lives are going to be threatened. Now the good news for us is that's not going to happen to us. We're not going to have to die on a cross. Probably not be martyred for our faith. Then Jesus goes on with the fine print. And so look at this as we get ready to close. Jesus says, if anyone is ashamed of me, if anyone asks if you are one of my followers and you say, no, not me, if you are ashamed to be associated with me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Now, the encouraging thing is this. The guy that we're talking about that's kind of front and center in this scripture, Peter, the guy who identified Jesus as the Messiah, the guy who was right, the guy who said he had never denied Jesus, he was the first one to ever deny knowing Jesus. And so when Jesus was arrested, here comes a little middle school girl, identifies him as one of Jesus' followers, and she goes, you're one of them. And he goes, I never heard of the man. (laughs) And so Peter denies Jesus. And you know what Jesus did? He kicks Peter right out of the discipleship group. Right? No. 
Not at all. He forgives Peter. He says, Peter, I forgive you. And in fact, I'm going to put you in charge of my whole deal. I'm going to put you in charge of my church. But Peter, don't do that again. (laughs) Don't do that again. And you know, Peter ended up dying for what he said he saw. He saw Jesus as the risen Lord. He gave his life. He paid the cost for following Jesus. But his soul is with God in heaven. Amen. So what's the moral of this story? Here it is. Write this down somewhere. Salvation is free. Salvation costs you nothing. You become a child of God by placing your faith in Jesus. And it costs you nothing. Because on the cross, Jesus paid the price for your salvation. For the forgiveness of your sins. And he offers you the salvation as a gift because he so loves you. So it costs you nothing. But now listen close. But following is not free. It will cost you something. Following Christ in your lifestyle, following Christ in this adulterous and sinful generation will eventually cost you something. You see, at some point in following Jesus, there's going to become a conflict of interest. And you're going to have a decision to make. Jesus says, this is what I want for you. And you say, this is what I want for me. And at that moment, you're going to have to decide if you're going to follow Jesus or the ways of this adulterous and sinful generation. So here's the bottom line. Following takes you saying no to you. But then also following takes you crucifying the old you. You crucifying the old you. And when that moment of conflict comes, when that moment of conviction comes from the spirit of the living God, you know that you've got a decision to make. And it means that to follow Jesus, you're going to have to crucify. You're going to have to kill. You're going to have to stop something that maybe you've been doing for a long time. Or instead, forfeit your soul. And maybe it's only you that Jesus is talking to. Maybe everyone else around you continues to do what you've been doing and Jesus hasn't yet seemed to talk to them about it. But you know at that moment that you have to decide who you're going to walk with. Are you going to walk with Jesus? Or are you going to walk with the world? Who are you going to get in step with? Jesus or this world? And when that moment of conflict comes between what you want to do and what you know Jesus wants you to do, you will just know. You'll know. And if I'm going to be a Jesus follower, not a fan, but a follower, I can't go there. I can't. I've gone there many times, but I can't go there anymore. I can't text her back. I can't drink that anymore. I can't swallow that. I can't take that job. I need to stay right here. I need to leave my profession because I can't stay in that world any longer. You will just know what the issue is and what you must do. And I hope that you will decide to crucify your old ways and walk in a new way. And that's in step with Jesus. 
Because if you do, it'll be a defining moment in your life. In that moment when you say no to you and you say yes to your Savior, when you decide to crucify the old you so that you can rise up to a new and a better you, it's in that moment that you will discover whose you really are. Are you a fan or a follower? Do you belong to Jesus or to the world? You'll discover whose you are. And from that moment on, you will never be the same. Saying yes to Jesus and no to you will get easier and easier. And moment by moment, you'll become a more and more devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Folks, you know our culture will try to keep you from following Jesus. Our culture and Satan does not care if you believe in Jesus. They don't care. Believe in Jesus. They don't care if you hang out with the people that love Jesus. They don't care. They don't care. But our culture and our adulterous and sinful culture will always try to keep you from really following him. It'll try to keep you riding the fence. A little bit of the world and a little bit of Jesus. But when it comes to paying the cost, many fall off as fans only. Church, following takes you saying no to you. Following takes you crucifying the old you. So the question is, have you decided yet to be more than just a fan of Jesus? A good guy to follow. Have you decided to be a follower? Have you decided to leave the world behind you and follow the cross in front of you? Have you made that decision? If you haven't yet made that decision, if you feel like you're more of a fan than a follower, would you pray this prayer with me? Would you close your heads and pray with me? As I pray this prayer, would you pray it sincerely and honestly in your heart? Would you pray something like this? Lord Jesus, I've heard the fine print. And it's now clear to me that I must deny myself to follow you. And I confess that I've not been saying no to myself. I confess that I've not been crucifying the old me. That I've not been dying to my old ways. At least not all of them. But today I've heard the fine print. And right now. I'm deciding to follow you. From this point on. In your name I pray. Amen.